0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We just finished our study on Corinthians. And we've gone through First Corinthians and Second Corinthians all the way to the end. We talked a lot about Corinthia and the Corinth and the people that were there and what Paul was talking to them about, what Paul calls Paul heavy and Paul light. And uh, evidently we don't have all the uh, letters that he wrote to the Corinthians. There's, most people surmise there was at least four. Uh, there were more than three visits. Well, there was at least three visits. And what was he doing? Why why was he going there? What was one of the major jobs of Paul besides talking to you about things hard to understand? And that seemed to be to turn local congregations into the kingdom of God. Because in a local congregation, like a home church, you can all get together and and like each other and help each other and encourage one another. But in the early church... They were connected to all the other churches. And they were actually providing an international social welfare system for the needy of their society. And their society was way different. The Christian society, those people who said there is another king, one Jesus, were decidedly different than most of the other societies of the world. And at that time, that word world that I'm using there would be the world that means constitutional order or system of government, and that government would mostly be the government of Rome, although the government of Rome was composed of lots of different governments. And I just realized that I have not turned on my recording, <laughs> so uh, the the switchboard was being very sluggish, so uh, we so I was having trouble getting it going. And, uh.
0: Was not making it happen. So, anyway, so now we got, uh. So, you'll, if we, I'll, I'll snatch the recording off of the station, and then you'll see the difference between the recording that I make here in the studio and the recording that we make from the station itself. And that's the, the one we make in the studio is the one we release to everybody else. I'll, I'll probably try to enhance it to make it a little bit better, uh. on the, uh. first part of the show, but, uh. I didn't have it going during the first part, but we were basically talking about our entire series on Corinth. Now, we have a series on Romans and and other of the epistles that anybody can go to and download for free. You don't have to send away for a DVD, or you don't have to send away for our books. They're all there, so you can download them for free, because we're doing the mission of Christ. But unfortunately for most people, when we tell you about the mission of Christ, it's not going to be what you hear you know, from a lot of the ministers in the regular churches out there in the world today. Because somebody along the way has crept in and watered down the gospel so you don't actually hear the gospel in most churches. I'm sure there's a lot of great people in your church. I'm sure that some of your ministers are great. But the first century church was taking care of all the social welfare for a network of congregations usually ten families in a congregation. And those congregations were linked together in ranks of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And they were helping one another out as a sort of a faith emergency ministry auxiliary. And that's what you see Paul doing in Corinth. He's going out there and providing. And and we see in 2 Corinthians uh, 10 and 11 and 12, that he is scolding the Corinthians because they give so little to the contributions that are, were going to go on to Jerusalem and then be redistributed. Now, eventually the church had several redistribution points, and the one that was in Jerusalem left Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was destroyed. But because it's a network, every other place every other active church could become a central hub for redistribution. And this could change overnight. And, of course, it did because that network of charity that they were creating helped Christians survive so they became the dominant culture in all the area of Europe where Christianity had been preached. A lot of other countries, a lot of other religions were being preached But they all collapsed because most of them were public religion. What's public religion? Instead of the church taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, the governments of the world take care of the needy of your society. And the difference between the two is that the church operates by faith, hope, and charity, and the world operates by force, fear, and violence. They do this lawfully. Because you sign up, you make an agreement, giving them the power to take from your neighbor to provide you with what the Bible calls the wages of unrighteousness. But if you do that, you may be counted by Christ as a worker of iniquity and cast out because those programs are covetous programs. They'll make you merchandise. And as we see just by watching the 6 o'clock news, it will curse your children with trillions of dollars in debt. And that's what's already happened. It's happened while the church that you're going to now was watering down the gospel or preaching a false gospel or preaching a Christ other than the Christ that Paul was preaching. Because we see Paul taking care of the needy through this international network of charity. I don't see churches doing that today. And the churches that do do that, you know, maybe they sponsor some uh mission society in South America or Africa or maybe in the Philippines and they help out some poor people there. You can always find some poor people. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. And that's great that they help them out. But let's not kid ourselves. That's not the church unless you're doing it all. Because pure religion is doing it all unspotted by the systems that use force. And that's what the Christians were doing. They were ridiculed for this. They were called atheists for that reason. And they were persecuted for that reason. And we can show that very clearly if you're willing to see the truth. We talked this morning about a lot of people who are not willing to see the truth. They're they listen to the irrational news reports that don't really deal in facts. Say the same lie over and over again, and people believe them. We see that going on in, in congresses and uh, parliaments all across the world. There seems to be a faction that just lies, lies, and lies. And not that the other faction that's not lying doesn't lie too when they're in power. But what we're seeing. You know, how, the old joke, how, how can you tell a politician is lying? His lips are moving. And so anyway, that's, uh, that isn't, you know, I don't want to be like David who said, in my haste, all men are liars, but we're, we do lie to ourselves. We do lie to others. We do, we are self-deceived. We have allowed a false gospel to creep in unawares and lead people away with a false christianity. So what we've done and and we've done a number of things uh, uh let's see if I uh, I was going I took some notes listening to the news and I send them on to myself <laughs> so that I get check cuz I I'm out moving about and I I see an interesting article and I uh, you know, I copy it over to an email and then I send it to myself so that I can have some notes. And I was talking about whistleblowers this morning. And the it uh, just was like fingernails on a chalkboard every time somebody was calling this guy a whistleblower who was supposedly saying that Trump did some terrible thing, you know, quid pro quo kind of thing. Which, of course, anybody who read the transcript of the call, that's not the case. And they know it's not the case. That's why they don't want the guy cross-examined. Because he had no first-hand knowledge. They just invented this to create this drama in the press. And the press goes along with it. It's just unbelievable. But what this guy was is not a whistleblower, but a psychophant. I was trying to think of what word would you call this guy. He's a false accuser. Because it was we have treaties with Ukraine to help each other in dealing with corruption. We know the Ukraine is full of corruption. We know the United States is full of corruption. That's why the Pentagon doesn't pass their audit. That also happened this week. That's why we have uh, congressmen and senators on fairly small salaries becoming multi-millionaires in just a term or two as a senator or congressman. How are they doing this? They're making deals. And as we can show with Article 2, Section 22 in Oregon, that they're taking millions upon millions of dollars from people outside of Oregon that want to see them get elected because they want favors. Why? Because they run budgets that are billions of dollars and they will give contracts to these people outside of Oregon. They will give favors to these people outside of Oregon because they gave them You know, millions of dollars for their campaigns. And and you can, if you had real investigative reporters, they could see that this is a matter of record. You could look it up on the internet and find it in their records. I'm not talking about some guy in Montana. I'm talking about in their own records by law that they publish, you see millions and millions of dollars worth of bribes going into the hands of congressmen, governors, senators. And I can show it to you. I mean, go read our article, our article twenty, uh, article two, section twenty-two at preparingyou.com. And we'd like to see Oregonian citizens, American citizens, Australian citizens standing up against this kind of dishonesty. This. Bearing a false witness. These people who swear to take an oath to uphold the rules of their office. And then they just totally disregard them. 80 to 90% of the people holding public office in Oregon are felons. Because that's what it says. If you violate those rules, you're a felon. And they are felons. And they don't call out their fellow felons because they're felons. And they, you know, if they call out, even if they don't violate the rule, there was a guy that was just visiting in the valley north of us, and I heard from somebody in the know, we have lots of connections all over the country, that uh he's one of the only senators in the state of Oregon who has not violated the Oregon Constitution and is lawfully entitled to his office, but he doesn't say anything because... It would clean out, you want to drain the swamp, pull the plug. And the people that are going to go after them for this, they're not actually going to go after them. They're going to try to enforce it. Uh, I encourage them to go after them. Hold people accountable for the dishonesty that they're doing. You have to hold them accountable. That's one of the reasons why in Congress and Senate today in the United States... They're getting away with murder. They're they're breaking laws left and right. They're calling on psychophant people and calling them whistleblowers. And defaming characters, ruining people's lives, and uh, falsifying data and information. I, I mean, I don't care whether you have Trump for your president or anything. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people falling in love with the truth and telling the truth. The same when they read the Bible. You're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. In other words, take from their neighbor in order to provide one another with benefits. You're not to be that way. They are that way, yet they say they're still Christians, yet Christ said, don't do that. So, I mean, it just doesn't fit. It's, they're not being honest. And we read this morning in Corinthians how Paul was saying to examine your faith, your, your actions, and what you're doing. James said the same thing, that if, if you're violating the Ten Commandments, if, if your works are not those of the early church, your faith is dead. It's not real faith. It's dead faith. Dead, dead faith is like fake news. And that's where people are at, and they shouldn't be that way, but there they are. That's the way they are. <laughs> and so I'd like to change them, you know, we have this, uh, Democratic uh, Congressman uh, McDonald uh, commented about using the National Guard to enforce Governor Ralph Northam's uh, proposed gun control laws in Virginia, which are clearly a violation of the Second Amendment. You're, you're not to infringe upon the right of people to keep and bear arms. It's not keep and bear hunting guns. You keep and bear shotguns. It's keep and bear arms. Yeah, military-grade weapons. The people in America are supposed to have the access to military-grade weapons and the governments, including the state governments, don't have a right to keep them from it according to the rules of the Constitution. Now, there is a way around that, but I'm not going to tell you that. I've written a four-part series on that. Does a Christian have a right to self-defense? And a Christian does have a right to self-defense, but he approaches it much different than a lot of other people. But the problem is, you guys aren't being Christians out there. Because you can't be a Christian and disregard the commands of Christ and do the opposite of what Christ said and make the word of God to none effect by what you're doing. Paul said that. Jesus said that. John the Baptist said that. James said it. Peter said it. That you'll end up... You can claim that you're a Christian, you claim that you're following Christ, but you're actually a worker of iniquity because you're cursing your children and you're cursing your neighbor's children with that. And he said, well how do we change this? Well, repent, think differently. But anyway, he says he was going to call on the National Guard to enforce these new draconian rules that are coming out of this Democratic uh, Senate in Virginia. Well, I thought it was interesting. I glanced at the article. It only took me a minute or two to get get, get over it and everything. And I copied some of the paragraphs and sent it on to myself uh, so that I can talk to you about it. Because I think it's important to tell you what's really going on in the news. I thought it was almost almost prophetic that the first TV station to report this, uh, what I'm going to share with you now, was WSLS TV in Roanoke. Roanoke, uh, that, that's a place of destruction. <laughs> that's a place where everybody dies. But eh, uh, they, they're alive right now, but if you know history, you'll know what I'm talking about. But anyway, there were some comments by a Major General Timothy P. Williams. I, I don't think he's in any relationship to us, but anyway, Timothy P. Williams made this comment, and I thought I'd read it to you. We have received multiple questions regarding proposed Legislation for the 2020 General Assembly Session and the authority of the Governor of Virginia to employ the Virginia National Guard in a law enforcement role. Now, any of you who have listened to a lot of our other broadcasts, you're probably up to speed on a lot of history. What, what was Caesar's big mistake? He crossed the Rubicon. What, what does that mean? He was crossing the Rubicon with troops that were supposed to be national defense. And it was which is what a National Guard is. It's supposed to be national defense. Now, they've called out National Guard when there's floods and everything. But now they just want them to do like a policeman on the roads. And that's why Caesar was bringing his troops home, is to use them as a police force and also guarantee his power. But anyway... So the National Guard, using him as law enforcement, he says, Please make sure you share this message with all your personnel. We understand and respect the passion people feel for the U.S. Constitution and the Second Amendment rights. We will not speculate about the possible use of Virginia National Guards. I encourage everyone to be patient while we allow our elected officials to work through the legislative process. Now, what does that process include? Well, it should include the Supreme Court, which would overrule these rules as an infringement upon the rights of Virginians to keep and bear arms. What's happening is the counties are declaring themselves sanctuary counties and saying, you can't enforce those state rules the those state statutes in our county. And we because we're going to stand by the Second Amendment, which is a part of the Constitution, which is also law. And these two laws seem to be coming into conflict and there's a whole you could spend two years in college studying conflict of law. But it's very clear the Supreme Law for all these statute makers, all these lawmakers in the state ...is the Constitution. We have not received any requests from the Governor... ...or anyone on his staff... ...about serving in a law enforcement role... ...related to any proposed legislation. I expected our soldiers, airmen and members of the Virginia Defense Force... ...to be professional and respectful... ...in their discussion about this subject. As a private citizen... Our personnel are free to express their opinions to their elected officials, but they should not engage in any political activity while in a uniform status. Because it's National Guard. They're on for a while, they're off for a while, and they're, but they're, they can be called up in a second because they've already taken the oath and they're bound in that. Another whole story. But, and when they're in uniform, they can't have a political opinion. They want everybody to figure out this, this conflict. Because what you see here is groups within the state legislature trying to line up the military against the population of Virginia so that they will be in a literal civil war with each other. Now, it probably won't get that way under this particular events, but there the idea that this this idea is entertained in the minds of some of your legislature is a frightening concept. The Civil War we lost more people in the civil war than all the other wars combined. Civil war in America is disastrous. The it is the beast turning on the beast. It is a bad thing and it should be avoided at almost all costs, but not the cost of righteousness. But what the problem is, is people don't know what's going on, and we're going to get into that in this show before we're done. We will provide regular updates when appropriate during the General Assembly session. Please utilize your chain of command to direct any questions or concerns to my office, and we will do our best to address them. So anyway, that was his comments, and he was making those comments, uh, because of the fact that you had these ridiculous statements coming out of legislature's mouth. The law is the law. They have to obey the statute. We pass these laws. They must obey. If they don't obey it, they should resign their office. No. If the law you passed in the legislature of Virginia or Oregon or any other state, this is the rules you guys set up. This, The kingdom of God operates... By higher standards, higher rules. It's not, the, 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 the church established by Christ is not a part of that world. The real church. We can't regulate what you do in politics. You want to vote for this guy? You go ahead and vote for that guy. You want to vote for that guy? You can do that. You want to support this guy? You go do that. We're not advocating that you support any particular political guy or group or party. What we're advocating is that you don't bear false witness. That if, you know, like if Jesus said, if you owe the tax, pay the tax. If you owe allegiance, be have allegiance. If you're bound by the Constitution, keep the rules of the Constitution. Do not bear false witness. But if they pass the law in Virginia that they get to round up everybody with orange hair and send them to a gas chamber, you don't have to obey that. Because that's in violation of the Constitution. (laughs) They don't have the power to make that law. So you don't have to do that because it's void from its inception. That's been ruled over and over and over again. Now you have to be careful because they could they could say there's income tax and want to charge you income tax and you say, well, that's not constitutional. And the reality is income tax is actually legal. It's a bad idea. I agree it's a bad idea. It's it's evidence that you have made your government too powerful that it can come in and impose that income tax. But the process of how that came about, that's mostly your fault or the fault of your parents because it came about or your grandparents. But it was their ignorance. All you have to do is stop being ignorant and start having the knowledge of God. And you can turn this ship around and go the other way. And that's, of course what Christians were doing, because what you see happening in America today happened in Rome 2,000 years ago, 2,100, 2,200 years ago. And Christianity came along and said, all those who want to think differently than the way that they're going, you can join the Christian faith and operate according to what Christ was saying. If you would do that, you could possibly turn the whole ship around. I don't know, it's it's getting kind of late and there's a lot of people who don't want to turn the ship around and there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, so it it if history completely repeats itself, Rome will fall, the U.S. will fall, and if the U.S. falls, the dogs will, you know, who let the dogs out, because a lot of the rest of the world will go crazy. I mean, I just read a story, I have friends in Minnesota, I have relatives in Minnesota, and they've had a lot of trouble with Somalians in Minnesota. All Somalians are not, they're not having trouble with all Somalians, so I don't want anybody to think that I'm against Somalians. But there's gangs that are mostly Somalians, there's gangs of all kinds of different racial and ethnic groups, But there are Somalian gangs that are doing unbelievably wicked and horrible things and they're getting away with it. And if the good Somalians would wise up, they would make sure they put the kibosh on this and stop it and drive out that wickedness that they're doing. I'm talking serious human trafficking, abusive wickedness. They need to stand up for what's right and stop that. In their community. Because in the Somalian community they're very tight. They know each other and everything. Same thing for the Muslims. There are some really bad things going on in the Muslim community. And there are some really good Muslims. The, The good Muslims need to get the bad Muslims in check. Now what's right is right. Unfortunately a lot of people use religion to justify their wickedness. Christianity is doing that today, modern Christianity, is using their faith in a great guy, Jesus the Christ, the greatest of all prophets as far as I've been able to find out, the founder of His holy church, uh, the one I serve, I mean you can just go on, He's got, you know, the, they have a big long list of all the titles that He would have, Prince of Peace, etc., etc. I agree with all that. But a lot of other people say they agree with all that, but some of what they do is contrary to what Christ said. And so if they're going to examine their faith and their practices, they gotta take a look at what Christ said and say, Am I doing am I really following Christ? Or am I following something else? Because the reality is there's an awful lot of Christians that have gone the way of the Pharisees and are following the Corbin of the Pharisees up. And then we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back. Uh, so, one of the things that I was trying to get across to people is that once you turn around start going this other way, it will change you. The same as when you went the way of the covetous. I, I show you all kinds mm. of philosophers, historians, religionists have told you that if you go this way, it's going to alter you. You know, it's like, like if you go to public school if you send your kids to public school they're they're gonna be altered by that experience uh not only because of the fact that they've changed what they used to teach you know most of the school books that are being created in the world today are coming out of one single company I forgot the name of the company right now I heard it actually just just before it went on the air but it owns all the subsidiary publishing companies all the way down there I mean it's there's been this massive consolidation. I've seen the same thing in the wheat markets, in the cattle markets, in the chicken markets that you have everything gets massive. Somebody becomes very successful and they buy up all the competition and next thing you know they're controlling everything. There used to be hundreds of grain buyers along the Columbia River. Now there's like two. I don't even know there's two. And because they've cornered the market, they just squeezed everybody else outside of the market. And so, in the case of school books, they can have a tremendous influence. If you got your people in that company, they can have a tremendous influence over what your children are learning in school. To say nothing of the fact that, you know, all your colleges are extremely liberal colleges, so all your teachers are coming out of those colleges. They are affected by that. Your children are affected. It's going to be hard to drag people back. And I think the only way to do it is through hard times. And fortunately, the way God sets up the universe, that's what we seem to be headed for. So somebody sent me a, a message. And they've been asking about sacrifice. And I didn't get back to them. They were asking about some of these quotes that you see, like Matthew 5.13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? Where will it get its flavor? It is thenceforth good or nothing, good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under your foot of man. now i I went back in the Old Testament to see if they use salt in the same way. He, he talks about unsavory being eaten without salt and he's using a particular Hebrew word there that does mean salt but again those of you who have listened to our studies on Hebrew almost every single word in the Hebrew language that has to do with a particular object something obvious like salt or a liver or a heart or you know something that you actually say well that's a liver and it also has a double meaning it has another more abstract meaning Because the same word they use to say honor thy father and thy mother would could also be translated liver. Now, of course, they add all kinds of nuances to the way they use these words because they add letters, they juggle them around a little bit, put them in a little bit different positions in order to create nuances of meaning with that. You can go and study all that. I have studied all that, I've looked at that, I go look at the Hebrew and I read things in the Hebrew all the time and I get hints that way. But ultimately, if you were to be salted with the Holy Spirit, you would know something's wrong with my interpretation of that or the interpretation I am given, the private interpretation I'm given by some minister. And we know the Bible's not given to private interpretation because it says that and it's a pretty clear translation. And every minister who translates the Bible and tells you what it means, that's a private interpretation. Everyone, including me, that's a private interpretation. Now, some of us that do that on a regular basis might be inspired by God. I might be inspired by God. I could tell you I was, but then I'd be boasting, and that would make me a fool. And we just talked about Paul saying, I am boasting to you, which is makes me a fool, but you like listening to fools, which is Paul's sarcasm. (laughs) But he was trying to make a point about the fact that they, the Corinthians had the least amount of donations to help out the rest of the network of churches. And there was some serious needs going on then. And we could be doing all kinds more things, but we don't have that serious blood flow. We're still trying to get the bones, the dry bones, to come together. Once you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, then the flow will start. So we're not worried about it. We don't, we're not a burden to the people that support this ministry. Because, you know, what, what we, we don't survive. On what you give us. You know I I don't live in a million dollar mansion. I don't drive around fancy cars. The stuff that you guys give. We turn into service. We depend upon our own labor. To support us. We have no salaries. Of any of our ministers. No salaries whatsoever. And that's the way it should be. Now if we started getting to do. Really what the first century church. Was doing which will depend upon you and whether or not you come together in that valley of dry bones and then the flesh comes on you and then because God breathes into you and then then with that flesh and sinew and blood, we can go out and do more things. But until you are willing to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands like Christ commanded, we don't expect much from you Fortunately, God is blessing us. But uh, you need to give because if you aren't giving, you're the salt that lost its flavor. You've lost your flavor. And you're good for nothing because you're not taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. If you're a minister of his church and you have a congregation that is looking to you and you're not contributing to the rest of the congregations, you have no flavor. you are You're, you're not the salt of God's earth. You're the salt of the world. And you've lost your flavor. And that's what he's talking about here in Matthew 5.13. He goes on in, uh, like Mark 9.49, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Now, again, flavored with salt. Is that what he's talking about? Uh, the, the reality is most of the sacrifices that were sacrificed on altars back in those days was actually turned into a meal. People ate it. Passover that they were fixing a meal. They probably salted the meat <laughs> with real salt, but that's a metaphor being used here. He goes in uh, the very next verse: "Salt is good, but if the salt lost his saltness, wherewith will he season it? Have salt in yourself, and have peace one with another." So he's talking about gathering together when he's talking about this. Salt, one with another. Peace, one with another. Salt yourselves. You know, and, and we see again in Luke, he says, Salt is good, and the salt has lost its savor, its flavor, wherewith shall it be seasoned. Well, that's what's happened to the Pharisees. They lost their flavor. They didn't care about one another as much as they cared about their religion their robes, their prestige, you know, they did take care of the needy, but they did it with forced offerings. Because you gotta remember, the temple was a government building. All the temples of Rome were government buildings. And they were providing for the needy, but they were doing it through force. Christ would not do it through force. This is a common theme. And we, we see that, uh, uh, He says, you know, actually if you go and look at, listen to James, James talks about the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh water? Now he's using the word a little bit different, but this idea of the salt having its flavor, do we have the flavor of Christ? Are we doing what Christ told us to do? Are we being the children of our Father in heaven? Have we come in the name of Christ? Because many of us have not done that. Now, right now, the ministers on the network, I saw that they were having a conversation about how the network works. And it's good to have those conversations, how the early church worked, to see the step-by-step process. But we have some ministers who don't even participate in the step-by-step process. Who's going to discipline them? Well, we will certainly let the congregation know, but, you know, we the congregation picks the minister. We don't send ministers from the top down. Christ created a system from the bottom up. The responsibility of the congregant is to pick the minister who is the best servant of servant of servants, and that's that's the rank of the kingdom, and that's one of the things I pointed out this morning uh, when reading Paul eleven and uh, you know Second Corinthians uh, chapter eleven and twelve and thirteen, Paul is talking about that idea of being you know where he ranks. He's the chiefest amongst them because he takes the lowest position of serving all of them, and that's it's just the reverse of the rest of the world. It's the opposite, mirror image of the governments of the world. You get elected and you get got rule over this guy and rule over that guy. And rule over, now they tried to break it up a little bit with the uh, in the United States with the separation of powers, but uh, it's really getting out of hand. Why? Because you've lost your flavor. You've lost the salt, the flavor of Christ in you. Now, all you have to do is start gathering, and Christ will bring, through the Holy Spirit, will bring that flavor back and start showing you. You have to start gathering. You have to start, you won't be able to gather unless you're full of forgiveness. Uh, You you won't continue to gather unless you're full of charity, giving. So, this is why Christ emphasized those things, because That's the only way for love to exist. Because what what is love? Love perseveres. It's long-suffering. If you come in a congregation, you're there for six months, and then you disappear, now we'll welcome you back when you come back. It's just a free assembly. But you don't want to go away. I remember I'm flashing on this image of in the movie The Band of Brothers. It's a very exceptional movie. It was mostly directed by that was just his name just dropped right out of my head <laughs> Tom Hanks uh okay mostly directed but there's one one episode that was not directed by Tom Hanks cuz he was off making uh another movie during that particular I think he didn't want to direct that one because of what they had written into it but anyway it's a pretty good because it's real life true story about real soldiers during World War 2 and it's called the Band of Brothers. But there was one guy who fought alongside everybody. He got wounded and injured. Went to the hospital. They went to rehab. And then he finally got outfitted again. And he went back to his company. Now, he would fought with the guys. But when he came back, he was had to start all over again. They didn't trust him. Another guy that was in the company, he fought with them, got wounded escaped from the hospital and limped his way back to the front lines to be with the band of brothers. And he didn't have to start over again. Uh, the other guy was just following orders, but that meant that his loyalty to the officers was greater than his loyalty to the... And these men were putting their lives on the line for each other. There's a great scene there when uh the officer's winters is going to run out ahead... To check and see if this is an ambush. And uh he puts out a smoke grenade. And he says, you know, when that goes off, you guys all start going and coming up behind me. And then if it's an ambush, they will know to turn around and run back. And they'll get back to cover quick. And they're likely to get ambushed won't be. So he's... He's putting his life on the line, something he wasn't supposed to do. He was an officer. He was supposed to have somebody else do it, but that wasn't the kind of guy he was. So he goes running out there, and the smoke grenade didn't go off. And all the guys know. But the guy he left in charge is saying, no, we have to wait for the smoke grenade to go off. (laughs) And they're looking at Winters running out ahead of everybody, getting closer and closer to the enemy, and they want to get there. They'll be going running towards danger. But they want to get there to back him up before he gets over that hill because there could be all kinds of Germans over that hill and he'll be all on his own. And sure enough, there were all kinds of Germans and they finally got there, but they were dashing across. But there was a lot of people going on in there. And war is a hellish thing. But that loyalty that they had, they were willing to lay down their life for their for winters because they knew winters would lay down his life for them you need to cultivate that salty flavor in your congregations and you cannot do that if all you're going to do is tickle each other's ears and tell them that they're saved and that they're wonderful paul says we are supposed to be perfect in christ You're not perfecting Christ unless you're doing what Christ said. Christ said that. And Paul preached Christ first. We need to preach Christ also. So I was actually looking for another email that I got from somebody. I thought I probably have it on a phone. I don't know what I do with the phone. Okay, I put it over here. But anyway, I, I probably won't get to it. I won't have the time to look it up. I'll let me creating all kinds of dead air time (laughs) by going and looking for. So I'll just try to do it from memory. But I was talking about the fact that, you know, that people have this communion where they start to, just little things, care about one another, be there, you know, whenever they need a little bit of help and they need a little bit of counseling, you go to them, they go to you, and you try to help one another. And you know, maybe you come over, you know, maybe there's a big store. Maybe there's a famine. Maybe those are big things. But you have to start somewhere doing the little things. I had a guy in a congregation out there in the kind of in the Midwest over in the Pennsylvania area. And he always wanted to be a part of what we were doing and everything. And we said, well, we had this widow lady that was in that congregation that he was supposedly a member of. And she couldn't change the light bulbs because she had to get up on a ladder to do it. So she needed help. He was only working... Like 20 hours a week as it was, he could not find the time to go and help her. Later on, he got himself into all kinds of, you know, financial trouble and wanted us to help him out. Well, we didn't. We didn't help him out. He was never there for anybody else. He only came, he only came to have his own ears tickled. His own feeling of self righteousness. Even when he was having trouble with his employer, it was always the employer's fault. Uh, the trouble with the government. It's always the government's fault. No, you want to cultivate, you know, Christ who, you know, when Peter gets his coat stolen, Christ wants to give him his coat. Christ wants to get out and wash their feet. That's the low job in the house, washing feet. Because that was a custom in Israel from the days of Moses. If you go out, you might be stepping in some... of. Uh, you know, somebody else's pig poop, and then you'll come home and you'll have tapeworms on your feet. So you need to wash that off so you're not tracking that around the house because somebody touched that tapeworms, uh, those little segments, and pick up eggs, and then they get tapeworms. So they had to wash every time they ate, and they had to wash their feet when they came in. And so that's kind of a dirty job. And so that was the low job. The, The lowest servant usually ended up doing that job. Christ took the low job. If you come together in a congregation, you need to be taking the low job, you know, and and doing service for one another. Actually, here's here's a, a something that I also got. I said a study participants were given an option in this study. Participants were given this option of having the earth flooded by massive tidal waves, or listening to virtue signaling what do they call them, smarmy lecturers by environmentalists for the next decade. <laughs> and over 87% of the respondents selected, bring on the tidal wave. <laughs> so they, they didn't want to hear any more of that. Now, for all you people who think that global warming is a problem, we talked a little bit about that this morning, pointing out the fact that there are new storms Showing up huge hurricane storms that are coming up that could just be absolutely devastating to the world's population, the problem is or maybe the good news is they're on Jupiter <laughs> they're not on earth, they're on Jupiter Jupiter's having these tremendous storms, and you know they they see it actually being created. What's creating it? Is that greenhouse gases? that are creating these storms? No, there's something else going on in the universe that is going to create all kinds of havoc. But what I'm concerned with is the havoc that's going on in men's souls, that is going on in the hearts and minds of the people, that they are willing to believe lies. Lots and lots of lies have been going on in the news media. You know, you can watch CNN and in NBC and ABC, and they just like when well, they've been caught, you know, killing stories and hiding information, and you know, open mics have shown this, but of course they don't show it. You have to be watching another news station to find out about, because <laughs> they're not going to confess up. But that's important that people start realizing what they're not seeing. What they don't understand, what they, they are not comprehending or, or being, how they're being misled. Well, I do that all the time. That, that, that's mother's milk to me. But, you know, I'm a meat eater, so I'm going to be sharing these meaty diets with you. I I can also be a vegetarian, you know, we want to speak specifically, but we should be Willing to see the whole truth no matter what that truth is or how that truth is presented uh, or how that comes into conflict with what we thought was true before. We need to be willing to see that truth and face that truth and accept that truth and unfortunately a lot of people when you start telling them these things and showing them that that's just not christianity they don't want to hear it and of course christ had the same problem he said they don't want to hear it they they don't want to be a part of what what christ was saying i mean he's raising the dead i don't have that advantage i'm not usually raising the dead so we have had healings and some miraculous things happen. But it's not public. And so you don't have to believe it. And, you know, when Christ first did his first miracles, he actually concealed it. He told not that. You know, go tell the high priest, but don't tell anybody else. Keep it a secret. Well, how's that? How's that work? Why is he doing that? Because he doesn't want you to believe by signs and wonders. He wants you to change in your heart. You don't know how to change yourself in your heart. Only God can change you the way you need to be changed. He sends you all kinds of messengers to help you change. Sometimes they're in the form of your children. Maybe they're in the form of your wife or your husband. That they create stress on your ego and you need to do something about it. Well, first thing you do is you forgive your spouse. And because you've swore to God that you're going to stay with this woman or this man until death do you part. So you need to do that. And honor that agreement. It's for your good. Now, unfortunately, they don't all both agree. Somebody might continue to want that. And today, if you're married legally, they can force you to have a divorce. Even when you don't want to have it. And that's... But... I tell you if you put on the full armor of God, but you have to know what that is. And most people don't know what that is. They think it's about, you know, what I think about religion, what I think about God, that that I read the Bible and and so therefore I'm, I'm not a bad guy. But we're all bad guys. Somewhere we're all bad guys. Somewhere we're not doing something that God wants us to do. If we were doing that, we would become... We'd be doing all the things he did and greater things than those you would also be doing. But you're not. Because you're not really as good as you would like to think. Now, I know a lot of guys say, well, we're all sinners. Well, that's easy. But what is your sin? Go back to what Paul was saying there. And I think it was in in Second Corinthians 13. Examine yourself. Go to, you know, I actually put a link on that page about our warning page. Because Jesus had lots of warnings about the fact that you need to examine yourself and examine what you're doing. Paul was saying, all these people that are doing these things, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What? Wait a minute, Paul. That sounds like works. You know, I know a lot of people doing those things, but they've accepted Jesus into their heart as their personal Savior, so they're saved, right? No, he says they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God if they're doing these things. Because... The statement that they've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into their personal heart, into the heart as their personal Savior, is a lie. And you know it's a lie to themselves. Not that I don't lie to myself sometimes. I might. I need to examine myself. You need to examine yourself. Because if I get in the kingdom, that do not get you in the kingdom. Even if you join our network and some of us get in the kingdom, it's an individual walk. But you have to walk it with others if you're going to be in the business of forgiving and giving. you got to have somebody to forgive and give to. You have to have somebody to love if you want to be loved. You have to have somebody that you will hear the problems of if you want God to hear your problems. If you want God to send somebody to you to hear your problems, you need to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and hear the problems of others. I get all kinds of people who call me up and want me to listen to their problems. They're not in the network. Are they listening to the problems of the other people in the network? That network is His holy church. That's how it's done. That's how Christ did it. Oh, you don't want to do it the way Christ did it. You got your other... Place. Oh, I'm just going to be nice to the people I know. But then I'm going to call up somebody living thousands of miles away and I expect him to drop everything and listen to me. And help me with the problems that I have. Are you helping anybody in our network with the problems that they have? When I first started going public, I was invited to a talk over in another city. And I listened to the people complaining about this, you know. And and that, that town's DA was a drug addict and mixed up with the Mexican Mafia. Many of the cops were... Some of the cops were murdered who tried to stop the corruption. For last I heard, it still has a certain amount of corruption. It was bad. I mean, children died, people were put in print wrongfully in prison. It was horrible. But one of the things I finally stood up and I walked out right amongst them and I says, "You gotta be there when he's having trouble, and you gotta be there when she's having trouble." Looking at different people, and they flat out said, "I don't care about their problems." I only care about mine. Well, now you know the problem. The problem is you don't love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And so, therefore, you will not have the armor of God, and you will fall with the rest of them. So, I recommend repent. Join the network. And until you do, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.